You're listening to a Money on the Move weekly series, Flashback Fridays. We are bringing back our favorite episodes from the archives. Every Friday, I'll bring you a blast from our past. You're listening to a Fit Plus Love production. Another kind of mindset that I have during this time frame is I, I think about these Olympians and there's some Olympians that are guaranteed a spot for 2021 Tokyo, but now they have an extra year. Can't you and I think the same way? Like I have a guaranteed spot. You may not have a guaranteed spot in Kona or whatever it might be, but let's just say we're going to race in 2021 and then let's think that way. Okay, great. Now, how do I become the best athlete? in 2021 as, you know, best athlete possible. And how do I break that down and work backwards from today to make tomorrow's workout most effective for 2021? That was Dirk Frell. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative, movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hi, Marnie on the Move listeners. Welcome. Welcome back. Hope you are staying healthy, fit, and well. And don't forget to stay hydrated as summer temps heat up if you're going outside and training. Speaking of, going inward to go outward is certainly the theme of these past few months. I've been super busy working on many exciting things, which I am so happy to share. Our quarterly newsletter is going monthly, beginning in August. Sign up on our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com, or the link in the show notes. You can check out past newsletters as well, just in case you aren't ready to fully commit. And I'm super excited about our new GIF sticker. Next time you're listening to our show, share a screenshot of the episode on your Insta stories, search the Jiffy area, Type in Marnie on the Move and all of our GIFs will pop up. Use it when you tag us with our handle and hashtag Marnie on the Move. FYI, I love stickers, so stay tuned for many more. On another note, have you heard our new Flashback Friday series? I'm bringing back guests from the archives, blasts from our past, just in case you haven't listened to all 130 episodes over the past three years. For July and August, we are featuring our favorite health and wellness founders and guests every Friday. So far, we've got Navitas Organics, Amrita Health Foods, and Glendy Young Vibrational Wellness and Healing. If you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy and super helpful for the podcast. Open up your podcast app, scroll through the Marnie on the Move episodes, Click on five stars, click on write a review, fill in the topic, and then share what you love in the body of the review. Click on send, and off it goes. These reviews are so important for the show. DM or email me if you have questions. Also, if you're on Zwift, like me, follow me, Marnie on the Move. I'll be leading some rides and meetups in coming weeks. Right now, 
I'm doing the virtual Tour de France and loving every single ride. I also started a triathlon and running club on Strava, Team MOTM, short for Marnie on the Move. And it's official, I am coaching triathlon. I am an Ironman U certified triathlon coach, which was one of the things I did in COVID, although I've been racing for nearly 14 years. Hit me up if you want to train. Whether you're virtually racing or want to create your own solo adventure, I am here. No races, no problem. We can create some new challenges together. Okay, now on to today's guest, Dirk Frell. Dirk Frell is the U.S. Ski Mountaineering 2020 Masters champ. He is a former pro cyclist from 92 to 2002, and he has raced the classics such as Het Volk and stage races such as the Tour de Pont and the Tour of Malaysia. Dirk has top 10 placings in both the U.S. Pro Road and Criterion Championships. He is also a sought-after cycling coach and co-founder of Training Peaks, the ultimate training tool and digital platform for athletes and coaches to plan their training, set goals, measure, and track data and progress. Training Peaks is compatible with over 100 fitness apps and devices. Whether you're an experienced athlete using your favorite app to record workouts like your Garmin, your Apple Watch, Zwift, Strava, or you're a newbie looking to try something new, all of your workouts are uploaded to Training Peaks for you to view, manage, and analyze. I have been using this platform for over a decade, and I can tell you I love it. On today's episode, I sync up with Dirk on how Training Peaks began, what inspired the company's proprietary training metrics, scientific tools, and methods that have become the industry standard, like TSS or training stress score, intensity factor, normalized power, and virtual coaching. I get an inside look at how Training Peaks has revolutionized the way that coaches and athletes track, analyze, and plan endurance training. Dirk shares where his journey into athletics, pro cycling, and coaching began. He offers some great cycling tips and advice, ideas for new training goals during COVID times, technical tips for going from indoor to outdoor cycling, we discuss power versus aero position on the bike, virtual bike fittings, and of course, we talk mindset and motivation. We sync up about Training Peaks podcast, CoachCast, which Dirk is currently hosting for season two. And Dirk tells me about the sport that is currently fueling him for success, ski mountaineering, for which he is now the U.S. National Masters champ as of 2020 which he earned in early March at the Aspen Power of Four. I hope you enjoy what you hear. Don't forget to leave a review, share on social, and tell your friends to listen. And join me as I train on Zwift and Strava. Special thanks to our sponsor, Mad Ritual CBD. Today's episode is fueled by Mad Ritual CBD. Mad Ritual CBD has changed my recovery game in a really big way. Get ready to recover like a rebel with these awesome, high-quality, CBD-infused products. Their CBD balm is off-the-charts amazing. And I'm not the only one that thinks so. Mad Ritual has 100-plus five-star reviews. The balms have five simple organic ingredients, coconut oil, shea butter, olive oil, plant wax, CBD, and different blends of essential oils. Personally, I prefer the eucalyptus and peppermint. They also offer a terrific CBD-infused total recovery supplement. Not just for athletes, the products are formulated to ease all of the aches and pains that come along with being an active human. So, if you're sore from life, Mad Ritual gets it. 
Founded by women athletes and active entrepreneurs, they are committed to helping active folks bring more balance to their lives. Mad Ritual is offering Marnie on the Move listeners 15% off. Head over to their website, madritual.com, and use the code Marnie on the Move. Now, on to the episode. It's so great to connect with you. Thanks so much for coming on the show. I've been using Training Peak since I started triathlon training. It's my digital dashboard and database for all of my training and fitness. I love it. Where did you come up with this awesome idea? Well, I was coaching with my father in the mid-90s, and that was towards the end of my professional cycling career. And as I, the, you know, the family business w- was coaching. As I start to coach with my father, come to realize, you know, we're using the fax machine and email attachments and, you know, we had clients all around the entire world. And so I just saw an opportunity to make it a lot more efficient. It was the late nineties. So it was the dot-com era. It was kind of the bubble. It was about ready to burst as well. I remember Um, I had just started working on some internet projects back then. Yeah. And I guess, you know, really it was just a pure authentic need that we had for our own coaching business. And I saw how we could deliver better quality service to our athletes if I had a better management system of all the data, as well as for the athlete to have access to all of their data, you know, from any computer in the world. And so it it just really started like a bootstrap. You know, there was no business plan. There was no fundraising around or any of that fun stuff that people do today. It was just hack it together. And, you know, I just had a vision and it really had a lot of value for us, even within the first six months of going live in early 2000, it really helped our coaching business. So it, you know, obviously it's grown since then. And then you launched Training Peaks, which before we do a deep dive into Training Peaks, I'd love to get your insight on a few things from a coaching and pro athlete perspective. What are some technical things athletes should consider as they transition from being indoors, riding on their trainers during quarantine to hitting the roads outdoors. Yeah, yeah, it's funny. It was always endurance. We were always kind of runners at the beginning. It's funny, when I was 13, our family vacation, we got a one-way ticket to Oregon. We unpacked our bikes, and then we rode down to Tijuana, like from Oregon. You know, it was just everything was endurance-oriented. and But we were primarily runners, but, hey, there was this bike too, you know. and So then triathlon started to kind of pick up steam, you know, in the eighties. So I thought, Oh, I'll try triathlon. But then once I started to think about it, I was like, wow, I really actually just like, I love cycling. I love going distances. And I think as a 12, 13 year old without a driver's license, that was a big part of it was I could just travel. I could ride my bike for 50 miles and connect cities. And that was just an amazing experience for me. So I just grabbed, gravitated towards towards the bike my dad took more up you know triathlon route but he he owned a a running store at the time so this is before coaching so you know I worked in the running store and then he ended up buying a bike shop and that was a dream for me to work in a bike shop that we owned and so yeah it was just it was always everything was kind of centered around endurance and sports and then you launched training peaks and Cycling. Can we talk about cycling for a second? Because that is my, I mean, you're obviously, you know, after you're a pro cyclist, you've also been a cycling coach for many years. So I think 
you know, as a, as a lot of triathletes are trying to, that's the biggest part of our sport is cycling, right? It's like the longest time we're doing any one of the sports, especially, you know, now a lot of athletes are training indoors. What are your thoughts on going from indoors to outdoors now that the weather is nice and, you know, people can get outside? I mean, I'm just speaking from my perspective of living in New York City. I, I think, yeah. you know, what are some things to think about, like, as you make that transition, you know, technical things like as a coach that you would advise your athletes mm. to look at? Yeah, I mean, training indoors is, is has been great. You know, obviously all the virtual cycling apps and that's been awesome. But I guess the number one downside to training indoors only is, you know, the loss of skills. Riding in a, a crosswind, you know, a strong crosswind along the ocean for the next 20 miles you know, that's a different experience than riding inside. The other thing with riding inside is you can get away with just the optimal position, just straight up on the bullhorns or up on the tops and, you know, push tons of power, but you can't do that same position outdoors and go faster. You have to now think about aerodynamics. So making that transition from indoor to out, that's probably the biggest thing is learning how to like, get in that error position for long periods of time if you haven't been practicing that indoors. Do you think it's something that you should practice indoors? Like, does it translate to outdoors? I think absolutely, especially triathletes, if they're riding indoors for the majority of the training, definitely they should put in some specific time periods where they're in the error position and under kind of race pace, you know, scenarios or, or workouts, you know, efforts, because that does transition to outside, you know, to build up those muscles, that range of motion, you know, you must work it. It just doesn't happen overnight and it takes time. And you may realize that you need a different bike position. You, you know what I mean? It's all so much of it comes down to an efficient bike position. Right. And, you know, an extreme bike position can be very difficult for a lot of people to stay in that position. Right. If the seat is really forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, or really low in the front end. Yeah. If you want that aggressive position, you really have to not only train it, but you're going to probably have to do some extra work off the bike with whatever it might be, yoga, stretching, body work, roller ball, you know, all that peripheral work to, to allow the muscles, tendons to, to have that full range of motion. And if you don't have that full range of motion, you just can't force it. It's better to not have as arrow of a position and instead be able to put out the power, but give up some aerodynamics. Yeah. Um, so that's a fine line. And definitely I encourage people to go see an expert, you know, in person when possible. <laughs> like a bike fitter. Yeah, exactly. A bike fitter. There are definitely some virtual bike fittings happening out there. Um, oh, I haven't heard of that. Yeah. Yeah. There definitely some of the top bike fitters have started to do kind of the, the Zoom thing. They have a good eye for position, so they know what to hone in on. It may not be as perfect as being in person, right. but they can do a lot for you, you know, remotely through a, through a camera. Do you think your body can shift form if you're spending all your time indoors and then you go outdoors and train? Do you think that if you can and that you have the means to do it, you might want to look at your bike again outside after being indoors for months and months? I, again, I think it comes down to the amount of time you've spent in the aero position. And if you've ignored it for months and months, then you might have to raise the handlebars a bit. You might 
you know, you might have to do some tweaks. And then as you get comfortable with that position, then you can start to, again, you know, make incremental, you know, adjustments to go a little more aerodynamic. But you you can kind of grow into it, I think. I even saw it as a cyclist, like the seasonality of my body, you know. If I went into a phase where I was, you know, now it's off season and I was doing strength training, how to direct impact on my range of motion and how I felt on the bike. And, and so I feel like, or let's say I, I was mountain biking off season, more mountain biking, more upright. And then I went right into a big base phase on the road. I, I'd be like, Whoa, wow. I don't remember the handlebars being this low. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. Um, so absolutely. I think the body kind of, it, it adapts, you know, and it, and it regresses. So people should allow for that flexibility and understand that that does occur. I know you're not coaching anymore and I totally want to circle back to training peaks and the business, but I'm just wondering what are some different goals that you can set as a cyclist Mm. or as any kind of athlete on your bike? So we're not racing anymore, at least for till 2021. What are some different goals that, that you would suggest to athletes that might be sort of like outside of the box and something you wouldn't normally focus on for training? I mean, me personally speaking, I was signed up for gravel and mountain bike races, mm-hmm. and one of them was the Breck Epic. I wasn't I wasn't going to do the six day, but I was going to do a three day Breck Epic, which is three day mountain bike stage race. Yes. And so, in replace of that, I'm going to do a four day like bike packing tour, and I'm not going for speed, but it's a challenging course. And I asked a friend of mine to do it with me, and we're now planning this event your DIY event right and we're not racing each other or racing anybody else it's just like this great event that's out on the horizon that I can prepare for and I do need to prepare for it because it is a little bit uncomfortable outside of my usual distance in a four-day stretch for me that's very motivating to do something like that I've kind of always wanted to do it but never really worked it into my race plans or or schedule I think stepping back, I think even without races, I think I'm really enjoying the process of training, Right. you know, and that sounds like duh, but actually I think we fixate too much on the race itself Right. that sometimes it actually holds your training back. I'll say that like, I know I need to strength train more, Yes. but once I get to March or, or, you know, springtime, I don't personally lift again until maybe October. And I'm like, well, I should probably lift more year round. And now I have the chance to do that. I'm the same way. I don't do any strength or core. And I know I should. And I know it's really, really bad not to. But I spend all the time just focused on like the racing and, right. you know, being on my bike, being in the pool, being outside running. And I can feel it over the last two years. Like I could really feel that I need to really do a deep dive into strength training. So finally I'm doing it. And I have an amazing trainer, Noam Tamir of TS Fitness. And we do everything on Zoom. I'm just taking this time to really build my strength training right. and element. That, that's yeah. like, that's kind of getting to the accountability part of yeah. coaching. And, you know, it's, you may know what you should do, but without that accountability, it just doesn't get done. Another kind of mindset that I have during this time frame is I, I think about these Olympians, and there's some Olympians that are guaranteed a spot for 2021 Tokyo. 
but now they have an extra year. Can't you and I think the same way? Like, yeah, I have a guaranteed spot. You may not have a guaranteed spot in Kona or whatever it might be, but you're guaranteed. Let's just say we're going to race in 2021. And then let's think that way. Okay, great. Now, how do I become the best athlete in 2021 as, you know, best athlete possible? And how do I break that down and work backwards from today to make tomorrow's workout most effective for 2021? And now that isn't, not everybody can do that because some people actually, their goals are virtual races right now indoors. You know, they're really going for virtual indoor racing and that's great. Okay. You know, that's, that's your goal. Other people are like, you know what, I'm, I'm really not focused on the indoor race series, but I really want to qualify next year or whatever it might be. Can we think like an Olympian and how are those Olympians thinking and how are they going to make themselves win gold next year? Cause they have an extra year to plan. I agree. I'm not really a virtual racer, personally. I think it's amazing. I love how Ironman has pivoted and is doing all the virtual races. I like how people are on Strava doing all kinds of events and there's so many programs out there. I haven't really gotten into it yet. I'm not saying I'm not going to, but I do like that as one goal, but I definitely have been thinking about setting new goals for my training, strength training, or I like your idea of doing an event that doesn't require an entire community of people. Like I like that mindset also of like, and of thinking like an Olympian, like taking this year as an opportunity to get stronger and it is what it is and now move forward. Right. And we have to think that way. Yeah. And some other events, I mean, locally, you know, I'm in Boulder, Colorado. We had an event last weekend that a, a, a coach basically promoted and it was a 100 mile time trial and he put out the course and he said he would be at mile 50 with uh, refreshments and you know it was a time trial start anytime you want but you know he'll be under a tent at mile 50 for a five hour stretch of time right and so we could all kind of go out and virtually compete in an outdoor you know outdoors but virtually through posting our times and that a lot of people are like, oh, they trained for a month, you know, to hit that hard. And that was very motivating for, you know, quite a few people for a month's time. So you can organize groups and do some something like that. Right. Yeah, I was I was thinking about that, actually. I was thinking about organizing an, a non-group group. Speaking of all these great training ideas, let's talk about Training Peaks. You are the co-founder and chief evangelist. And I've, pl- I've played effectively every role in the company in the last 20 years, ex- except software engineer. <laughs> Did you come up with training stress score, TSS, and all of the cool bells and whistles that are why all of us athletes and coaches love Training Peaks? Yeah, I mean, there's so much to Training Peaks, first of all. There's no right way to use Training Peaks. It's kind of like Excel spreadsheets. Everybody uses Excel differently. And Training Peaks is the same way. There's no Training Peaks methodology or proper way of using Training Peaks. So right. there's all kinds of bells and whistles. You can kind of get, you can go as deep as you want, or you can just stay more at the surface level. So it kind of, you know, you can grow with the system, if you will. And you don't have to use CSS. And not every coach, is, not every coach uses TSS. But, you know, training stress score is one metric. It's like saying I averaged 312 watts today or whatever it might be. It's a metric. And it's one metric in the entire picture. 
And right. so if you think about an artist rendering a painting, you know, CSS is like one paint stroke, but what does that yellow paint stroke look like up against the red and the green, and the blue and gray and black and all that together collectively creates the picture of training. So training peaks, we look at training, we look at training more holistically at a broad um, spectrum. We want to know how did today's training relate to your goal that's off in the future? You know, that's what we're always trying to relate things to. Right. And in training peaks, a recovery day is just as or more important than your hard days. And you you can't say that, you know, in Strava. And we, tons of people use Strava and, t- and they use Training Peaks as well. They're very complimentary. Strava is about beating your friends and going as hard as you can. That's not what Training Peaks is about. We're right. about preparing you, helping you be successful on a particular date or time frame or something for an event in the future that you're committed to. Um, so that's really what, you know, at the end of the day, what our, our value is. And so we work with a lot of coaches and a lot of different training methodologies. We want the coach to practice their methodology and their terminology within our, our platform. So yeah, that's kind of summarizes, I guess it's been methodic along the way different time periods along the way science has evolved or new metrics have come out and so we've adopted them because coaches ask for them yeah we're bringing that into the product kind of evolutionary it's my digital dashboard for all of my training whether i'm training for a marathon or triathlon i use it for everything as like my hub of tracking all of my fitness and health statistics data and i'm totally a data geek. So I love it. I love looking at the yeah. numbers. I love looking at my TSS scores. <laughs> you know, likewise, we don't promote train to the numbers. You know, right. there is obviously the human element and the best way to prepare for a race is with an experienced qualified coach. That's always going to be the ultimate experience that you can relate with somebody, have that accountability, somebody, a third party giving you advice, giving you the real story, helping you along. It isn't just about the numbers. It's about how did you feel? You know, what is your mood? What was your quality of sleep? Now, not everybody tracks that stuff, but you could if you wanted to in training peaks. Right, because you have the comments and you have, I I noticed you introduced, I guess it was like in the last few years, you introduced the comments and then the levels, like a, a level for feel. Yeah, the RPE. We've always had comments, like post workout comments have been around right. since day one, but like RPE, how you how you felt, um, rate of perceived exertion, um, you know, and we have all, again, all kinds of metrics. You know, your whoop. If you wear a whoop, you know, yes. it sinks to training peaks. Like your total hours of sleep, REM, deep sleep, um, you know, your recovery, your whoop score. Like there's there are hundreds of different devices and apps we're compatible with that the data, as you said, is kind of a central repository for everything yeah. to come in. And a lot of people will kind of cycle through seasons or even years. They might be like, hey, this year, you know, I'm kind of done with racing for a year. I'm just going to take it easy. And, and all of a sudden they get the bug. And then the next year they're like, yeah, now I really want to hit it hard. Well, they may have been syncing their Garmin from Garmin Connect to Training Peaks for the, that entire year. They didn't race. All their data is still being collected 
Um, so now they can go back and if they work with a coach, they can analyze it, see where they're starting from, what are the lessons learned. The best data of all is once you get an entire, at least complete year, because now you have something to compare against. Right. You know, what what was I able to do, you know, June, you know, this time last year? So, yeah, it, Training Peaks is kind of just there in the background collecting for you and you could ignore it or dive full-heartedly back into it, you know, when you really have that motivation. Um, so we see that, we see that a lot. How have you developed and evolved the platform over the years in terms of adding more technology? Like you said, you partner with Whoop and obviously you partner with Garmin. Yeah. You also have Zwift on your platform. So any of these modern day training programs, apps, watches, tracking all come together in Training Peaks. Yeah. I mean, early on, for whatever reason, we didn't specify it, but we always felt like an open kind of platform would win, not win out, but it'd be the best way to go moving forward. So we took on the effort on our side to be compatible with all these other devices. There, there was no dot fit file or Bluetooth syncing or any of this for, you know, 12 13 years of our existence. Um, right. We had to take on that work, you know, on behalf of Polar and Sunto and Garmin. We had to figure out how to get that data into Training Peaks because they wouldn't do it for us. Now it's completely reversed. Now they want the entire world to consume their data. <clears throat> they make it as easy as possible. There's APIs, and any software developer pretty much can go at it and start consuming Garmin data, you know, and do a startup tomorrow. We went through a lot of, lot of headache to, to get that data into our system for a lot of years. And in fact, the very first device we did it with, and we showed that company what we had done, it was the very first time ever that you could render a heart rate file in a, in the web browser. I mean, until that point that we did it, you had to only look at your, you could only look at your data in desktop software. Right. There's no web interface to view your data. And we were the first to do that. And this, and it was a, a power meter company. And this company said, nobody looks at their data after they ride. That was the response we got. And we're like, what? Like, oh my gosh. So, you know, we had to try and convince people it's worth saving your data. It's worth getting into our website. It will have value. Right. You know? And so it was just something no one really had been thinking of. And only the only people that really wanted the data were the coaches. Right. So we were, you know, from day one, we were serving coaches so they could do a better job coaching. And that's a huge part of your platform now still today. I mean, you offer a lot of coaching plans and programs for athletes and you also work with a lot of coaches I don't know what the coaching platform looks like on the back end because I've never used it as a coach. Tell me a little bit about it. If, if I was yeah. a coach, what does it look like? It looks a lot the same, except they have additional libraries that can manage clients. They have client libraries or folders, if you will. They have training plan libraries where they can create training plans. Obviously, they can create workout libraries. Right. And all of that can be shared. They can share a client to another coach or multiple coaches or share a training plan to assistant coaches they can publish so there's additional publishing rights they can publish training plans 
into our training plan store. Right. Which so we, is great, by the way. It's like you have yeah, so many you. great programs in there. I've downloaded several over the years. We don't author any of them. You know, we are not a coaching company. We support coaches and, you know, we're trying to help these coaching businesses grow. And if they're successful, we'll, we will be successful. We, you know, we have tens of tens of thousands of coaches that we think of as our, as our partners. What do you feel like was the biggest challenge for you as a company along the way in terms of like, like shifting gears, so to speak? Well, I mean, the biggest challenge, I guess, with one of them was what I just mentioned, where yeah. we, to access the data off of the watch was so difficult. And we had to do that work on our, on our own. And every time a, a company would release a new firmware, it would break our connection. They would break the import, right, that we had developed. So you're constantly, every single week, trying to upgrade against new firmwares from every company. Right. So that was a lot, a lot, a lot of work and investment, which effectively doesn't even exist anymore because of, you know, these APIs and connectivities and syncing between websites. We're doing a good job. We've really adopted product management, you know, sent, you know, being a, a core group within training peaks. Right. Obviously for the whatever the first job, 13 years or something, it was more myself, my father and mother co-founder Gear Fisher and a couple other people were, it was just like, what, what do we think feels right? What, what are people asking for? And you sort of just would develop ad hoc. Now it needs to be more, you know, research-based, interview-based, voice of customer and taking that all into account along with obviously the business strategy and then right. strategizing from there. So that's been an evolution of the company just becoming more sophisticated and growing up. And so it's, you know, gone through many different cycles and phases of business. So that's been what I've been in love with. Yeah. <laughs> there, it, it's, it's still, it always kind of feels like a startup to me just because it's, it's always something new and it, it's software. It's never going to end. It's not just, you know, I don't just have a, a, a model, you know, and, and create some, widget you know it's like it's just always evolving which is really fun one of the things that i've noticed that i've really enjoyed over the years is the content you've great articles great writing being in the marketing pr space that's one thing i noticed not just as an athlete but just as a business person like how brands are growing and changing or if they're ahead of the curve or not moving forward fast enough. And one of the things that I've noticed about Training Peaks is that the the content is amazing. Like just so many great articles about training and not just about running and triathlon or cycling. Well, you have to thank our customers for that because <laughs> <laughs> we, we really don't write anything. You know, it's our, it's the coaches that are our customers yes. that write our content. And so we've invested certainly in our content team, but more as, strategists and editors of the content that coaches write. So yeah, thank you. But that really kind of goes back around full circle back to our customer base that actually does the writing for us. So your biggest customer base is your coaches? Well, I mean, we have more athletes on Training Peaks than coaches. We have more self-coached athletes on Training Peaks than coached athletes. But the coaches are kind of our central value proposition. Obviously, 
revenue, you know, associated with coaches and training plans and supporting their businesses is kind of at the heart of our, our entire business model. But yeah, we have more self-coached athletes on Training Peaks than coached athletes. You also have a really diverse group of athletes that are using Training Peaks. Yeah. That's not just running, cycling, or triathlon. That's always fun. I love that part of discovering new sports and athletes that are on Training Peaks. And that's kind of the downside as well to software is you, you don't get to meet your customers. You know, right. there's no front door per se. So you might realize, oh my Lord, so-and-so has been using Training Peaks and I have no idea. And, you know, one recent discovery was Alex Honnold, who's a, he's the star of the movie Free Solo. And he's, you gotta go see this movie. And anyways, he's the world's best rock climber. Um, and he's been on Training Peaks, you know, with his coach. And it's like, wow, I had no idea like this famous rock climber was on Training Peaks or these people that summit Mount Everest and set new records, et cetera. There's just so many types of athletes from race car drivers, you know, rowing, kayaking, skiing, all kinds of sports gravitate towards us. I think just because it's got this foundation of science backed kind of training, if you will, and a, and a, a coach can really leverage it to for the for the you know use of of what they're coaching we don't really get to that skills component so we're not for baseball teams or football teams per se but it's more about oh do you track heart rate do you track distance track time that's where we tend to come into to play what exactly is tss score it's, it's really just intensity and volume combined. Now, a hundred TSS point workout, there's actually a million different ways to create a hundred TSS points. You could ride five hours, very, 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 very easy. And you'd accumulate maybe a hundred TSS points, or you could go out and do all at 100% bike ride, full out time trial for one hour, and you would produce a 100 TSS points. So just the fact of saying I did 100 TSS points or however many TSS points doesn't really tell you what the workout was. Right. But there's some level of workload insinuated from it. But then again, it's like the brushstroke. That's the red brushstroke. Well, what was the yellow? Well, the yellow was the intensity. Oh, that was a 0.7 intensity factor. Okay. That told me something more. What was the black? Oh, the black was actually, that was a two hour ride at a 0.7 intensity factor that produced hundred TSS points. So it's these layers of metrics. There's no one metric in isolation. That's the Holy grail. It's, it's the whole patterning and modulation of everything. And there's different methodologies and some people care about TSS and others don't. Yes. I know some people you'll ask them and they don't, they're like, I don't even know what that is. Really, TSS, I guess the bigger value is when you look at that over time. Yes. You know, we have the performance management chart, and that is really what's giving you some type of indication of fitness, fatigue, and form. Right. Again, it's not the holy grail, but it's another piece of the pie to consider when you're making decision of what to do tomorrow. Right. Well, I look at my fitness levels and I look at my fatigue and my form, which are all on training peaks. And I, I always think about how I feel. I don't just look at the numbers, but yeah. I could be feeling tired and my I could look great in training peaks, but then I know yeah. something else is going on. You know, so it's like I use it as a tool for measuring my health and my life through my training. 
and you may feel horrible, but yesterday's numbers are really good. And the training plan says to go do a, a hard five hour ride today. And it may not be the right thing to do, especially in this time period right now where we're trying not to get sick or reduce our immune systems. So yeah, it's, it's, yeah, it definitely isn't all about the numbers, but it definitely should be accounted for within training. Do those metrics and data points work for other sports beyond triathlon and running? Yeah, absolutely. In that case, a lot of these other sports are tracking heart rate. So they will track a HRTSS. We're basically comparing today's intensity to, you know, to your threshold heart rate. Right. So that's how we come up with HRTSS. It's the same with pace based for running. So right. there's different types of TSS and TSS for power, RTSS for, you know, pace based and HRTSS for, for, and you could ride your bike and not have a power meter and track HRTSS. And I right. do that on my mountain bike because I do not have a power meter on my mountain bike, but I do, it's not as accurate but I am getting some sense of the workload of that workout via my heart rate. So a lot of these other sports are still tracking heart rate and they'll, they'll kind of like leverage that within their sport. And have you seen a lot of new people signing up over the past few months? I just feel like people yeah. have become so digital that it's like there's a whole new world for people to discover about training and racing and fitness online. Yeah, we, I mean, I guess we've been well positioned. Unfortunately, I would never want this crisis to ever happen in the first place, but it certainly um, had an uptick in our numbers for sure. You know, we've delivered like in March and April, when we look year over year, we delivered twice as many training plans, you know, to athletes. So that really comes down to, I think, people and a couple different things. I think they want to have some control in a part of their life that otherwise they don't. That's one thing. Like I, I want to make the most of my training. So I'm going to look for expert instruction via a training plan for the next month, you know, and I'll take it month to month and see. If, and then there's this other trend I, I've seen where it's just people looking inward. They want to come out of this as a better person. Right. And that might be learning a new language or learning to play the guitar. And for a lot of people, it's taking up cycling, running triathlon. And so we, you know, we're seeing new athletes come in and that is a good thing for our sport in general. If obviously a certain percentage of those folks hopefully stick with it. And if we, uh, you know, as ambassadors of the sport can help onboard these folks and make them feel comfortable in our world you know, it's going to help grow the sport in general. So that's been a little bit of the silver lining to all of this that yeah. we've absolutely seen in our numbers. And then there's the whole virtual world of training and the skyrocketing numbers of indoor training that we've seen within Training Peaks. So yeah, some interesting trends. I feel like all of the digital indoor training programs have really been doing great just because people are training indoors like Zwift and other platforms that people are using to train indoors. So I could only imagine. How do you decide what coaches programs you upload, like training programs you upload to your library of tra training programs on your store for Training Peaks? You know, it, we don't really limit it per se. If every single paid coach account has the capability to 
publish into our training plan store. Okay. But now we start to allow the user to filter through and see what are the credentials of the coach. There's coach bios. So we encourage coaches to have their bios. They can put their certifications, you know, USA Cycling, USA Triathlon, British Triathlon, whatever certifications they have, they post. We have our own Training Peaks kind of certification. We have two levels, level one, and then you graduate up to level two. That has another layer of legitimacy to it. You know, when you're Training Peaks certified, you must have a national governing body license. You must have insurance and, you know, liability insurance, coaching for your coaching business. And you have gone through some level of training within the Training Peaks online course, or you've attended a Training Peaks university. That's what we put into the the bios for athletes to kind of like filter through. Right. We do also have a coach match service. So if you're just totally lost and there's 50 coaches in your area and you don't know who to choose, we we have a coach match service. So you can fill that out. We'll get back to you with based on what you're training for, what you're looking for in a coach. We'll then return to you three coaches that we highly recommend that are Training Peak certified. And then we ask that you interview those three and see which one works best for you. So we we can definitely help out along the way as well. That's really great. Your content is coach generated primarily, like in terms of both your training plans and the articles online, which is really amazing for people who are trying to get their name out there. And then your podcast, it's amazing. And you're the host now. Yes. Coachcast. Talk to me a little bit about how that's been for you. Oh, that's been, that's been great. You know, it's been really fun for me to just think about who could I interview that I just want to like talk to, you know, it's like really fun to have these conversations to find the secrets behind some of these athletes, but also coaches. I had one, I don't know, like a month ago where it was, it was an interview with a coach and an athlete and that dynamic between the coach and the athlete. And it was cool to see that relationship so much of coaching is that human element it's valuable for both coaches to listen to to get that insight you know from a coach but also athletes to listen to to be like oh right that's what i could gain from coaching or that's what i'm looking for in a coach or that's what i'm not looking for in a coach and then secrets behind you know winning the olympics and with Kristen armstrong and she's a a three-time olympian three-time gold medalist in three different olympics oldest cyclist to ever win an Olympic gold medal. Just amazing, amazing. You know, I've always wanted to interview her. So that was like, that was, that was really fun. So, you know, and then all the way over to other sports, you know, I'm a, I interviewed Scott Johnston who coaches people that their goal is to reach Mount Everest, you know, and he uses the training peaks and how do they use that? And a lot of it, if you listen to that interview, you're like, well, I'm really not a climber. I don't really care about Mount Everest, but, uh, you know, but I had people reach out and they say, Hey, I, that was so much like triathlon. Like it was, it was like that 80, 20, you know, training the muscular endurance, training the fat oxidation to go long and preserve the, you know, those reserves. And that's actually why they've become successful. They've brought what cyclists and triathletes have known for decades. They're finally bringing that to a different crowd. So seeing sport in a different light through a different lens in is, is a great thing because we're always going to be learning and we can always learn from other sports. Pretty cool. 
You interviewed Michael Lovato, the voice of Iron Man Live and former pro triathlete, right? Yeah, he's always a, a fun character. You know, he's he's here in North Boulder by me, so I see him out on the trails and his family, etc. Great commentator. I could never commentate for nine hours straight for yeah. Iron Man's, and now he's commentating every single weekend on their virtual virtual. races. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I inter- interviewed him right at the beginning of all the virtual racing. Yeah, which was really fun, really cool. He has a great background, obviously as a pro triathlete, and he was top ten in Hawaii. And I asked him, "What was your? I can't remember worst failure or something like that." He's like, "Well." He kind of thought, hey, I'm now top 10 in Kona. Now I'm going for the podium. I need to amp everything up. Mm. And that was kind of like the wrong thing to do. It's like, no, 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 no. I've got it. I've got it. I've got it. I've got to just like kind of maintain maybe a little tweak here or there, you know, and then I, you know, let's, let's shoot for the podium. But he kind of just like went over the top and never really got back to that. And so he had a little bit of regret around that experience. So that was really cool to get inside his head about that kind of mistake if you will is he, he pushed things a little too hard to try and make the podium and he was coached by dave scott he moved to boulder for you know basically to work with dave and his mom bought him uh, his birthday present was coaching with dave scott but he wanted to be coached he, he thought dave would be a great coach and his mom got that for him for his That's birthday awesome. one year so he moved to boulder <laughs> basically is kind of the story so pretty pretty good birthday present you're pretty lucky you're in boulder <laughs> yeah it, it, interesting but you can't get away from sometimes the competitiveness of it yeah you're always going to run into see marinda carfrey and tim you know out running just in the neighborhood and everybody else and so that's amazing and i get I get very like a lot of motivation from it when I see it, but then sometimes also it's like, oh, I just need to take it easy today, you know, and enjoy the the great day. <laughs> Do you ever miss racing and pro sports, like pro cycling, or? I absolutely miss the big races and the mm-hmm. crowds and the spectators and just that vibe, and you're just like in another world. And I, I love what I really liked about cycling was the strategy component of it. You, the strongest guy doesn't always win. You know, it's, there's a lot of strategy and there's a lot of teamwork and it's kind of like chess on wheels. Yeah. And I really, really, really liked that component. Um, so I do miss that strategy component of working with teammates. And I, you know, when you, when you can think just alike and you didn't have to speak any words and you just knew what your teammates were going to do in the right moment, that was like the best, you know? So I definitely miss that. You don't get that doing a 100 mile gravel time trial. Right. (laughs) Is it still fun for you to race recreationally before we were on lockdown and races were canceled? Were you racing at all or? Yeah. I've raced every single year since 1982. Okay. (laughs) Um, so you still so, do it, but not at the, like, you'll just go for fun. Exactly. And I, I think it's not always just for fun, just like right. a lot of your listeners, it's very stressful. Can you, you're trying to do the best you can. You have a goal and the goal is sometimes out of your reach, right? Sometimes you have to, you know, I do tell myself like, Hey, okay, I'm going to do this event just for the fun of it. I just want to experience this. But more often than not, it's about a time goal or beat last year's time. You know, that's often the goal. Mm -hmm. And now that I'm over 50, now it's like, okay, podium. 
so that's kind of a new goal. So I'm definitely still very competitive for sure. That all sounds great. I'm sure it's competitive and keeps you on your toes. Do you have a group you ride with? Obviously not during COVID, of course. Yeah, there's always a group. There's always somebody. I mean, even if there is no group, I go train. I'm going to run into somebody and or three different people. And it was like, oh, my God, that was awesome. I ran into like three these three different people and I, I rode with each for like 10 miles, you know, and you just didn't plan it. Yeah. And that's really, really, really fun to see who you run into. And that's definitely a, a, a fun aspect of, of living here. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, there's a little culture in New York and community. I feel like all the cyclists and triathletes will ride up over the GW. And then we all meet and hang out at this bike shop, <laughs> Strictly Bikes. And right. it's like they have like food, coffee, you know, typical bike shop. And, uh, and then people go out further up north and to the market which is another food location so it's really like around food stops and bathrooms but there's definitely people i meet when i'm cycling that i would normally like i would never even know them and then you know you meet people out on the bike i've had these experiences where i'm just out and i'm like hey i've seen you here before what's your name what's your name you know and and then the next time you're up there you know, you you may see them and it's like, oh, I, I see this one person on this one route and I now know them. Um, that's the only time I see them. And it's, 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 yeah, that's, that's, that's fun part of the sport. Yeah. So you've done triathlon, you've done cycling and running. Have you ever done swim run or any other like endurance sports? Well, let me, let me say a caveat. I've, I've done two triathlons in my, in one day. I don't know if my dad told you this, but you know, he told me a little bit how Training Peak started, and he said it was like you and your friend. And I yeah. figured I'd talk to you more about the business because he seemed like yeah, yeah, no, he definitely way. has been more on the uh, the coach side of things, the practitioner. Yeah, uh, but he does a lot of education for us, yes. you know, currently. So that's great. I, as a triathlete, did two Ironmans in one day, and that was my first and my last. And I reached my goal, and it was Ironmans in South Africa. And I just, it was just like a thing I had to do. And I was so happy to go do it and do my goal. Um, but then I was just like, I still, I, I want to go back and like do bike races, you know, but I was so happy that I did an Ironman. And to tell you the truth, my number one sport now is ski mountaineering. Oh, that's so, so interesting. I, yeah. Yeah. So it's the endurance endorphins of running uphill. And you have these super lightweight skis and carbon boots and you have full range of motion and you have what's what are called skins and they go on the bottom of your skis so they can grab and, you know, give you traction. So you literally run up the hill with your skis on, you get to the top, you rip off your skins off the bottom of the skis and you lock in your boots into downhill mode and you just straight on it and bomb down the mountain. And you might do that four times. You might do four laps of the mountain. So it's just, it's like, it is an endurance, obviously sport. It's much like ultra trail running, if you will. Mm -hmm. My national championship is in Aspen and it's uh, 26 miles and it takes me basically every year. It takes me about six and a half hours. So I, that was my A race for 2020 and I got it in. It was March 1st. Wow. You are so lucky. Yeah. So, and I won the national championship. So for masters, I'm masters, national ski mountaineering, national champion. And, but it, it's the same exact 
training methodologies. It's the same endorphins. It's just on snow in cold temperatures. And instead of bombing down a mountain bike trail, you know, you're bombing down a ski trail. So I love that. I love exploring. I love getting away from cars and exploring, you know, new places. And so it's just, it's what I love doing really, you know, November through March. And how has all this training that you've done and racing fueled you for success with training peaks in your business? Oh man. Wow. Good question. I think it's a lot, there's a lot of parallels. You know, you set goals, you have annual goals. What are you preparing for? You work backwards to create objectives, you know, milestones along the way. It, you know, it's the same methodology of training for a race, just like training for business. I effectively have a business coach who's Andy Stevens, our CEO. He has been great to work with and he has that bigger vision and comes from a bigger, different background than right. I do. So he's more my business coach. That's been great. So, you know, it's all about deliberate, deliberate practice. You know, where, what are your goals? Where are you weak? Where can you improve as it relates to your goal? And who could I seek out for advice to help me become better? Right. Same thing in business as it is in sport. It, there's so many parallels there. And what about mindset? How has the mindset that you apply to sport and training helped you with overcoming maybe some of the challenges we talked about earlier, like just, you know, making things happen? Yeah. Mindset, I think it's, I just read the book, The Happiness Advantage. You know, an athlete goes through setbacks. You might get sick, you might get injured, or today's workout, you just couldn't complete. You take that as a setback, but how quickly then do you switch in your brain to, okay, that's behind me. I can make tomorrow count. You know, what should I do tomorrow? And tomorrow might mean a recovery day, a rest day. That's again, just as important as your hard days, but how can you get in your mind to kind of get away from that negativeness and say, okay, now I'm moving on. I can make things better. So that mindset plays such a big part of success, I think, in sports and athletics to, to help you endure, you know, and take all those blows. And sometimes, you know, we know of athletes that have had a lot of blows for several years and then they just kept at it and then that success did come. So, so much of that is just in the mindset as well as, I mean, at the highest levels, all the athletes are basically the same. So the results come down to that mindset. Yeah. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> how well do you endure or take the pain or how do you convince yourself to prolong this agony or what are the tricks you play during the moment to, to get yourself to push through something you've never done before? Do you have any tricks that you use for yourself? I do. I mean, I always break down the race into like these segments, you know, and I find myself saying, oh, I, I only have to do this portion two more times. I only have to do this portion one more time. This is the last time ever I ever have to do this hill this year, you know, and I'm constantly doing that to get myself to that next hill or the next segment. That's how I did the marathon. Yeah. I just said, I just, I broke it down into three sections. I spoke to a lot of people before, like on my podcast and at New York Roadrunners and athletes, and they all had like different kinds of advice. But like one takeaway was first 10 miles, you know, until I got to 20 miles, there was no race. 
That's funny. Yeah. I just kept it chill. Don't think about it. And then if I, I was still alive at mile 20, I was going to race the last 6.2 miles. Yeah, that's basically what I did when I did my one Ironman in the marathon. It was a three-lap race, which was kind of oh. nice. Yeah. And I and then I broke it down aid station to aid station. Mm-hmm. And I basically had a rule. My rule was only walk in the aid stations and always walk in the aid stations. Oh, that's good. Like, yeah. From the very beginning, I walked in the aid station and I only walked in the aid stations. I did a negative split in my last lap was the fastest by six minutes wow that's amazing and it was you know it wasn't super fast obviously it was like a 405 or something fast is relative i was a perspective yeah Yeah. i was a wreck but you know i was like okay that was that's how i how i personally broke that down you know and now i if i were to do you know whatever i'm not going to do it again but you know i could have learned from that experience and tweaked it you know from there like oh every other aid station (laughs) or whatever it might be you know we're talking about training and racing and what are your thoughts on when we're gonna come back to racing like have you well it's interesting there's like two different groups there's this elite pro level where i I follow the tour de france and that level of racing and racing is starting august 1st and the tour de france is in september now will that actually happen you know, maybe there's a 60% chance I'm thinking, I don't know, but right now everybody's planning to race in August. So that's a low volume. You know, there's not very many participants, you know, in the tour de France level racing, right? right. It's not 2000 people on the start line. But I people are like, in tight Pelotons. Right. But they're also like secluded. They're in a hotel for no one's allowed in or out. Everybody's tested every day. Like yeah. it's tightly controlled. It's kind of like, right. NASCAR just did it right. But now there's going to be spectators. So that's the level of risk that they're taking on. But when we think about our normal race scene of thousand or more people on the start line, I just find it hard to believe we're doing it this year and and to be thinking about doing that in 2021. Maybe smaller races of 500 and less in wave starts or time trial type starts. Yeah. That's and, what I was talking about with your dad. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think, I think time that trial. might start, yeah. that, that might start potentially later in the year, but September is going to be very packed. Yeah. <laughs> if we do have any racing. <laughs> yeah. I think everybody is like chomping at the bit. I personally don't think we're going to be racing till like 2021. Right. I mean, it's just because, it just feels like, you know, all the wellness people that I've been talking to and scientists are talking about, we're going to have a second wave. And right. and even if we don't, like, it's going to be hard to, until we have a vaccination or some kind of cure, I think it's going to be really hard for people to take that risk. I mean. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm with you. Absolutely. I'm not rushing into it and I wouldn't rush into it. And yeah, I think that's how more likely it's going to play out. So. Yeah, but I think, again, like right now, it's just about enjoy the process. You can come out of this as a better person or athlete, whatever it might be. Take the time and enjoy the process, and then we'll have better days. Awesome. Well, this has been really great. Thank you for taking Thank the time. You. Yeah, I love your podcast. Keep up the, the good work. <laughs> Thank you, Marnie. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode 
links in the show notes. And of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019. I want to hear from you. Email me, moneyonthemove1 at gmail.com. And let me know what you're enjoying, what you want to hear more of. If you have questions for our guests, just reach out 